In an epic showdown on Capitol Hill, the baby murderers and their political serviles go head-to-head -head with pro-life women and Senate Republicans. With Orwellian precision, the real bigots of our republic weave a web of lies and euphemisms to distract American citizens from the reality of their agenda, which is abortion through point of birth for any reason or no reason at all. The left requires euphemisms. They require lies, without which they're exposed for the racist, ageist, sexist, eugenicist, murderous bigots they really are. So buckle up. This will be a master course in translating euphemisms and debunking lies. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show today. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we've been a, a week away. Didn't uh, get to release an interview last week. I was in Florida um, traveling and just got back recently, but wanted to dive in to a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing that happened on the Hill in regards to the Women's Health Protection Act, <clears throat> which I discussed with you in a recent episode. They're resuscitating Kamala Harris's 2019 abortion legislation, which failed, and they're trying to bring it back. But before we dive into that, if you been listening to the show for a little while and you appreciate this content, this helps equip you to defend life, encourage you to stand for life, would you leave us a rating and review? It really helps us reach more people. Just click five stars, let us know what you think, help us climb up the ratings, more people will see the show, all with the goal of changing minds, changing hearts, and saving lives. So on June 16th, Richard Blumenthal, who is a senator from Connecticut, um, uh, was the chairman of a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing on this Women's Health Protection Act. Other uh, fetal bigots that were there were John Ossoff, who you recall Lecrae helped um, secure a Senate seat in Georgia as he was campaigning for the pro-abortion Democrats in the special election runoff for the Georgia Senate seats in January. <clears throat> Diane Feinstein, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and witnesses that they both brought, two pro-life women, three pro-abortion women. So I want to dive into some of what happened in this showdown um, between the pro-life uh, senators, the pro-life witnesses, and the fetal bigots. This is significant and important because it shows exactly where the Democratic Party is. Now, I've been telling you this for a long time. Christians, American citizens who are tuned into these political realities have been telling you this for a long time, but many people continue to say, vote for Democrats because uh, that's what real pro-lifers do, or, hey, Democratic policies decrease the abortion rate. Haven't you heard? Uh, isn't that what you want, pro-lifer, is less abortions? Uh, and look, Democratic policies and Democratic presidential administrations, you just see the abortion rate going down, and isn't that a wonderful thing? And I've dived into before as why that claim is wrong and misfounded, and happy to dive into that another time, but um, that's what they say, and they're so unaware with their head full of, uh, their mouth full of sand, because their head is buried in the sand, as to the goals and the radicalism of today's Democratic Party, and this is the most radical piece of pro-abortion federal legislation in American history. Kamala Harris failed <clears throat> to pass it as a co-sponsor in 2019, and now that they have um, the the Senate or the House and the White House, they want to uh, ramrod it through. And so they brought in some witnesses, a woman named Jamila Parrott, who's an abortionist in D.C. and is the director of Physicians for Reproductive Health. Um, they also brought in Michelle Goodwin, who teaches at UC Irvine, 
uh, and, and claims to be a, a constitutional expert. Uh, they also brought, they also interviewed another woman who is apparently just a normal citizen and mom, not a legal um, or healthcare expert. And then they brought in two pro-life women, Catherine Glenn Foster, who's the director of um, uh, the United Americans for Life. Um, and then Melissa Odin, who we've had on this show, the abortion survivor and the director of the Abortion Survivors Network. And so we're just going to dive into some of these clips and play them for you. Uh, and then we're just going to kind of weave our way through the euphemistic lies um, of the individuals championing this bill so that you recognize how they phrase their their goals and how we can expose their lies and euphemisms. Because as the Democratic Party has moved further and further left to the point of defending abortion through all nine months of pregnancy and refusing to care for abortion survivors who are born alive during botched failed abortions, they have had to double down on their language. Uh, and this has been the goal of the modern left for decades. You know this. Words create worlds. Words are pointers to reality, right? When I say a boy, I don't mean a girl. When I say Frank, I don't mean Sally. I I'm referring to something in reality that has an objective standard. And so when you can redefine words, you can redefine reality and rearrange sort of the mental furniture of people's minds to be more prepared to accept your political agenda. And so we have to be very careful with words and language because they do create worlds. And so I want you to recognize exactly um, how focused the left and the Democratic Party has become on the words that they use. Because the more radical you get, the more careful you have to be in articulating and defending your radicalism. Otherwise, you get exposed for the true radical, the true bigot, the true racist, ageist, sexist, and eugenicist. And I'm gonna make a case as to um, how that's exactly what today's Democratic Party is without their euphemisms and lies. So here's uh, Jamila Parrott, who I told you is an abortionist in DC. She is a black woman which makes it all the more tragic that she's um, part of the um, industry responsible for the disproportionate number of murdered black babies. And she's the director for Physicians for Reproductive Health. So here's, here's our first clip of, of Jamila Parrott talking about the, um, uh, the danger of ideologies uh, taking the place of medical care. Play clip. And unconscionable that politicians and pundits paint abortion as a hopelessly divisive issue when in fact it is a deeply personal decision rooted in autonomy, self-determination, health, and well-being. When ideology takes the place of medical care and science, my patients suffer. So you know what's crazy about that clip, right, is that if I hadn't told you <clears throat> that she was an abortionist, <laughs> if you hadn't heard the first segment of the clip, and I just played for you the, the section where she says, when ideology takes the place of medical care and science, my patients suffer, I could probably get you to believe that she was a pro-life speaker representing pregnancy resource centers. <laughs> Do you see the power of language? That sounds like a a uncontroversial, common sense, pro-life statement. I agree, Jamila. When ideology takes the place of medical care and science, patients suffer. Your ideology, which is resuscitating the ideology of slavery, ironically, as a black woman, that not all humans are persons, has taken the place of medical care and science, which teaches that 
our human nature began when we began at the moment of conception because that's when human beings begin. Your pro-abortion bigoted ideology has taken the place of science. The Democratic Party and the abortion industry and the abortion rights movement, uh, ironically, don't follow the science, do they? And in fact, Nancy Pelosi was just asked uh, last week, and we'll play the clip in, uh, probably next week, uh, on the Hill regarding Mississippi's bill, which would ban abortion at 15 weeks, if at 15 weeks the unborn child is a human being and she stutters and stammers and then says, I support Roe versus Wade. They, they won't answer that question, is the unborn a human being, because they're science deniers. Well, when that ideology takes the place of science, yes, patients suffer, the pre-born patient who is murdered and the mother who's treated like a prospect for an abortion. So you see the power of language. You would have no idea that she was talking about abortion if I hadn't already told you that. And this is what is required to confuse the American public, rearrange the mental furniture of their mind, and make them more likely to accept the political pill that they feed the American public. In this next clip, Jamila Parrott goes on. This is sort of her opening statement defending the Women's Health Protection Act. Uh, she's one of the witnesses that Richard Blumenthal brought on. And she just starts sort of parroting some of the, the euphemistic doublespeak that you're so familiar with. But I want to play this clip because it, it goes to show exactly um, how opposed uh, the Democratic Party is and the abortion industry to following the science. Play clip. No, abortion is safe. And restrictions like the one WIPA helps stop make it less safe. As a healthcare provider, it is abhorrent to me that the laws restricting abortion are passed under the pretense of making abortion safe when they actually do the opposite. Restrictions on abortion care have far-reaching consequences, both deepening existing inequities and worsening health outcomes for pregnant people and those giving birth. So did you catch that last line? Did you catch that? She says that this worsens health outcomes for pregnant people and those giving birth. Um, there's a word for that. They're called um, mothers, Jamila. And you saw Xavier Becerra do this recently. We didn't play it on this show, but if you, if you follow the never-ending news cycle, you would have saw recently that uh, I believe it was, uh, it was one of our favorite GOP senators, I forget which one, but was questioning Xavier Becerra. Uh, director of HHS, Health and Human Services. Remember, Xavier Becerra, he sues nuns to force them to pay for abortion-inducing drugs, and he sues pregnancy resource centers in California to advertise, advertise for abortion on the walls of their clinics. That's the bigot he is. So he changed the phraseology within the HHS to not refer to pregnant women as mothers, but as those who give birth, uh, birthing people, which is incredibly dehumanizing and sexist. Shocker! <laughs> the Democratic Party's sexist, did you know? They're okay with targeting babies for abortion if the parents don't want a female, and they're per perfectly fine referring to women as birthing people, which reduces a woman purely to her ability to give birth, and that's it. Not her ability to mother after that, not, not the unique contributions that women and mothers make to child rearing, no, just as birthers. Um, there's the blatant sexism of today's Democratic Party. So, so much for following the science, right? Oh, isn't that strange? An individual who won't follow the science that human life begins at the moment of conception also won't follow the science that there's only two genders. Oh, wow, I, I guess ideas sort of have a philosophical consistency to them, huh? Uh, when you deny science here, you'll deny it over there, and you'll put, what, ideology before medical care and science. But Jamila Parrott, 
says, it is abhorrent to me that the laws restricting abortion are passed under the pretense of making abortion safe when they actually do the opposite. So catch this, okay? This is the, the doublespeak that she's saying. Pro-life laws, which protect pre-born children who are human beings, are not geared towards making things safe. They make things more dangerous. Wait, wait, more dangerous? Wait, pro-life laws are dangerous? Be but abortion's dangerous. <laughs> pro-life laws will help decrease abortions and make them more safe because you're killing less babies. Wow. Talk about inversion of reality. Pro-life laws are dangerous. I mean, this would be the equivalent in the 1850s. And by the way, this is what racists argued against <coughs> anti-slavery Republicans. They said, you know, these slavery uh, laws, these anti-slavery laws are dangerous because they're heightening racial tensions in states that favor abolition because they're so accustomed to owning slave. And so it's actually the anti-slavery Republicans that are causing more racial violence to break out in states that favor abolition because plantation owners are being told they don't have the rights to purchase human beings and whip them like cattle. It's the Republicans who are causing more racial violence to happen. So anti-slavery laws are dangerous. Now, of course, today's Democratic Party wouldn't make that case anymore because they don't want to acknowledge their racist, bigoted past, but now they're using the same arguments on abortion. It's pro-life laws that are dangerous. Wait, huh? Abortion's dangerous. What the frick are you talking about, right? Euphemisms, lies, right? Enjoy this euphemistic soup, guys. Slurp it up, because this is what they want to feed the American public. Jamil Parrott goes on and talks about how she's a doctor, and she cares about justice, and pro-life laws are not justice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're gonna play this clip and try to make sense of, of this euphemism. Let's play clip. I went to medical school to become a doctor to take care of my community. We deserve more than this. This is not care. This is not justice. When 12 black women coined the term reproductive justice, they affirmed that every person has the right to bodily autonomy, to have children, to not have children, and to parent our children in safe communities. As a doctor and a black woman, when I think about the care my community needs and deserves, I know that access to abortion is essential for healthy, free lives. The time for the subcommittee to act is now. My patients deserve support. They deserve autonomy and agency. These are medical decisions, and my, doc, my job as a doctor is to support their decision. No one should be controlling their health and their future except them. Laws like the ones Whipple protect against are not about health care or safety. They are about control. Politics has no place in the health care I provide, and I urge members of this subcommittee to take this important step and support the Women's Health Protection Act before access to abortion deteriorates further. The lives of my patients and my colleagues' patients, as well as our communities, depend on it. Uh, where do I even start with that? Where, where do I even start with that? Leftism is an alternative language, you guys. <laughs> this woman is bilingual. She, she speaks English and she speaks leftism. <laughs> and I'm not sure when she's speaking which one. I, I, where do I even start with, with this euphemistic river? Um, as she travels through on her, her, her throne of lies. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay. Firstly, you heard her say WIPA, just so you know what that means. WIPA, Women's Health Protection Act. Okay. That's, that's what she meant. Okay. So she says that she, she's a doctor, right? Okay. You're not a doctor. You're a doctor of death. Okay. You're like a Nazi doctor who's violated your Hippocratic oath. Um, and this woman, remember, actually is an abortionist. Okay. She says, when 12 black women coined the term reproductive justice, 
Okay, that's probably the most euphemistic phrase that the Democratic Party has yet come up with. And boy, are they good at euphemisms, right? But this might take the cake. Reproductive justice, that, I mean, sure, I guess. Like, are there laws that prevent women from reproducing? Oh, no, that's not what you mean. <laughs> you don't mean that people are saying you can't have sex. You mean that if they have sex and create a new human being, then you'll call murdering little human beings reproduction. But, but, but the baby's already been reproduced. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should be confused. And so, so you see, it's actually justice to murder little human beings because they're dependent on you. And in 99% of cases, you engage in a consensual act of sex that led to the creation of a new human being? Yes, consent to sex is consent to pregnancy. Just like consent to eating donuts for every meal is consent to being obese. But she says it's reproductive justice, okay? And she says that these black women affirm that every person has the right to bodily autonomy. Question, Jamila, does every person include preborn children? Do they have rights to bodily autonomy? Oh no, you don't mean them. This is something you need to be aware of. In the language of leftism, they will always exclude the pre-born from statements and phrases they say that on the face sound inclusive. Every person, that sounds like an inclusive phrase, yeah? Every person? <laughs> but they don't mean every person. <laughs> They're saying that the unborn is not a person, so they exclude them from these sort of catch-all phrases. So you have to be aware of that. Um, the language of leftism always excludes the pre-born without specifically saying it. That's why their language is so confusing, okay? She says to have children. Well, they already have children if they're pregnant. You mean murdering preborn children. And she says to, or to not have children and to parent our children in safe communities. Can a community be safe if the least and smallest and most vulnerable can be legally killed, Jamila? No, that community would not be safe, would it? But she doesn't think abortion matters. She doesn't think killing babies matter. So therefore, these communities are still safe in her inverted reality. She goes on to say that abortion is essential to healthy, free lives. Um, question, Jamila, does that freedom include the preborn? No, of course not. My patients deserve support. Does the preborn, is the preborn a patient? I mean, they are, right? And they should be treated as such. In fact, even the United Nations has said that the preborn child does have rights that should be protected simply because they're more dependent and smaller. And we'll dive into some of the contradictions of the UN in, a, in another episode. She says that her patients deserve autonomy and agency. Uh, should the preborn be granted the autonomy and freedom to live their own lives? No, of course not. She says no one should be controlling their health and their future except them. Oh, are you talking about preborn children? No, you're talking about their mothers who sanction their slaughter. And then she says, politics has no place in the healthcare I provide. Well, interesting, then why, then you should stop advocating for abortion rights within politics, right? Because you're using politics to advance abortion rights, but you just said politics has no place in the healthcare I provide. Oh, what you mean is that pro-life laws that are used through political power to protect the preborn have no place in the healthcare you provide. And abortion's not healthcare because healthcare doesn't kill the most dependent and smallest among us. Okay, so I mean, there's just every other sentence she says, if not every sentence, it explicitly excludes the preborn from her all-encompassing terms. Why? Because if she doesn't exclude them and assume that they're not persons within the course of her rhetoric, she'd be forced to acknowledge the bigot that she is. Um, and so you need to be aware of that. Okay, so Jamila Parrott, uh, we'll come back to her later. She kills babies. She lives in D.C. 
um, and she wants the Women's Health Protection Act, the most radical piece of pro-abortion federal legislation in American history. And then they bring up Michelle Goodwin. Michelle Goodwin uh, teaches, she's a professor at UC Irvine, close to where I used to live, um, and advocates for abortion. She says she's a constitutional law expert. And um, she, we're going to play a few clips of her sort of intertwined with the pro-life women. But she makes the case that the Constitution protects abortion. Um, of course, it's, it's in the emanations, right? It's somewhere in there. Uh, we're not sure exactly where, but it's definitely in there. It has something to do with privacy or um, something to do with, um, with uh, freedom. And I, I don't know. It's somewhere in there. Uh, of course, the, the left has to twist himself into constitutional pretzels in order to find the fictional constitutional right to an abortion. But here's Michelle Goodwin. Play clip. Congress has the power to protect pregnant people now. Under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, Congress has the authority to enact legislation when state laws infringe upon or deny the exercise of constitutionally protected rights. They're not called pregnant people. They're called women or mothers. <laughs> you science denier. So you'll continue to hear this phrase, pregnant people. This is, this is the uh, part of the, the newly updated lexicon of the left, right? Or the Democratic Party, but I repeat myself. So this is a very interesting case she makes in, one, in two sentences here. She says, Congress has the power to protect pregnant people now. Under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, Congress has the authority to enact legislation when state laws infringe upon or deny the exercise of constitutionally protected rights. Once again, if you weren't aware of the context, this phrase sounds like it's coming from the lips of a pro-life GOP senator, doesn't it? Congress has the power to protect women, including pre-born women. And under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, Congress has the authority to enact legislation when state laws infringe upon or deny the exercise of constitutionally protected rights. Yes, yes, upon the right to life. And when states infringe upon the constitutional right to life, then Congress has the authority to enact legislation to protect the first and most important of all rights. But she means the complete opposite, doesn't she? <laughs> it's wild that they can use language that we find utterly uncontestable, uncontestable, but she's applying it to the right to abortion, right? So she's saying that because state laws are trying to protect the first and most important of all rights, life of the pre-born, that that's compromising women's liberty to kill their own children, so the federal government should step in and stop states from exercising their federalist, democratic, local power to protect the preborn. Wow. There you go. There's, there's the, the fantasy reality that the left lives in. Okay, let's get to some pro-life women. So Catherine Glenn Foster is at a United uh, is it Americans for Life phenomenal organization. They help draft um, legislation and pro-life laws for legislators in Congress to protect the pre-born. Catherine Glenn Foster was um, held down at 19 years old and forced to go through an abortion that she didn't want to. It's a very gnarly story. Um, these stories pop up quite a bit, actually, when women try to change their mind. And sometimes their parents, but oftentimes the abortionists say, no, we've already started, and they hold her down and kill her baby anyways. And so she's testifying against the Women's Health Protection Act. Um, she is a constitutional um, lawyer or expert, um, very smart woman. And so Ted Cruz directs some questions towards her, and she really breaks down the damage that this bill 
um, would rot on the country, on federalism, on preborn children, and on women who the abortion industry treats like sheep and cattle to be slaughtered on their altar. So let's play this clip. The Women's Health Protection Act would effectively ban all life-saving state protections for women considering abortion, including those upheld as constitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court. This bill would wipe away protections for women, for children before viability, and even for many late-term viable children. These include protections from dangerous and painful late-term abortion, laws that prevent children from being eugenically aborted because they may have Down syndrome, and laws guaranteeing that children born alive during an abortion are provided with basic medical care. Informed consent standards, gone. Health and safety standards, gone. As a legal and constitutional expert, I can say that this misguided bill would invalidate hundreds of constitutionally sound state laws that have been debated, passed, and enacted in states from coast to coast in an effort to protect America's youngest citizens. Okay, so what Ms. Foster is saying is that this is the abortion pipe dream of the left. This is what they want to secure everything they've always wanted on abortion, to codify Roe v. Wade, to wipe out every state-level pro-life legislation around the country, and bring in, rein in their new um, utopia of abortion on demand without apology through all nine months of pregnancy, and you're going to fund it and you're not going to pass legislation to protect the preborn, you Republican rubes. Now, it, I want you to understand something. The left and the Democratic Party don't actually care about federalism. They don't care about local communities exercising local political control to design their cities, their local communities, in accordance with their best judgment. They don't care about that because they will scream bloody murder and racism the second <clears throat> a city <clears throat> or a state creates like a sanctuary city for the unborn, or if they ban critical race theory in their schools, right? Um, as I believe uh, Ron DeSantis has just done in Florida. And they will scream racism, and they'll scream that the federal government should step in, exercise federal political power to ban these states from, from doing this in, in, in such a way. Um, but then when they want certain things that the left doesn't want, like sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants, they'll scream federalism, local control, praise God, a blessing of liberty. <laughs> so they don't actually care about local sort of um, institutions and city councils and, and, and state legislators exercising local political control. They just want power and they will wield political power either locally or federally to get what they want. So it, it, they don't actually have a standard for um, how they pursue laws. It's just whatever is convenient for them to get what they want. And what, what Ms. Foster is saying here is that this is a way of them exercising federal political power to wipe out state-level pro-life laws all around the country. No informed consent standards, no more health and safety standards, everything that we've done to tie the hands of the abortion industry, to shut down abortion clinics, to require 24-hour waiting periods, to require parental consent and knowledge, right? Um, to require ultrasounds before you get an abortion, um, to require um, sometimes actually a two-day waiting period, um, to ban abortion if the reason you're getting it is because of the Down syndrome diagnosis of the child. All of these incremental pro-life laws that we have which save children, all gone in one federal sweep of legislation. I mean, this is radical stuff. 
Um, and this is exactly what they've always wanted. And so um, Catherine Foster is, is explaining exactly how, how they would do that. And that's very important for you to understand. But don't worry, woke pastors like Tim Keller tell us that you have liberty of conscience to vote for whatever political party you want. Um, woke leftist Christians told us, got to vote, vote for Joe Biden. Don't worry, I'm pro-life. I just, uh, you know, other pro-life issues matter more. Well, now, thank you guys. Thank you for that. Here's what we're getting now, the most radical piece of pro-abortion legislation in American history. Hopefully with the filibuster, this won't go through the Senate, but you never know, thanks to the squishy Republicans that we do have in the Senate. So now Ted Cruz brings up Melissa Odin, abortion survivor, survived a three-day saline abortion, saline salt-infused abortion, is the founder and director of the Abortion Survivors Network. Um, and we're going to post a longer clip of what she said here on my YouTube channel later, so stay tuned for that. Um, she really held their feet to the fire and took them to school. We're just going to play a clip of this. Absolutely brilliant. What do you say to an abortion survivor as an abortion rights advocate? What, what do you tell them exactly? What, when did your uh, rights begin? Um, oh, shoot, you survived an abortion? Frick, man, I don't know what to say to that because uh, I call abortion reproductive justice, which would be a good thing because justice is a good thing. So what happens when a pregnant woman fails to exercise her reproductive justice, when in the pursuit of obtaining reproductive health care, that health care was not adequately um, applied and uh, you, you fail to secure your reproductive health care? What happens when that happens? Oh, a human being is born, accidentally born alive. Shoot, now we have to take care of them except they have filibustered the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act dozens of times, which would say you have to care for the lives of children accidentally born alive during a botched failed abortion, or there will be legal penalties and, and, um, and uh, punishments. Uh, they hate that. They don't want to protect abortion survivors who are born alive like Melissa Odin, because doing so blows up their entire bigotry. Because if you acknowledge that the child directly born, accidentally born alive from a botched failed abortion is a person with constitutionally protected rights, then how were they not a person with constitutionally protected rights six seconds before they slipped out of the birth canal? 10 seconds before the abortionist accidentally failed to kill them and they escaped through the very birth canal that they were supposed to travel through safely. What, is there a fetus fairy who just flies around in the vaginal canal sprinkling magical personhood conferring fairy dust on the baby as they slip out of the birth canal such that that personhood conferring fairy dust is embedded in their skin as they come out of the vaginal canal and now it's a person because it's not in the vaginal canal? What the heck? So when Democrats say, yes, babies born alive during botched failed abortions are persons and should have their right to life protected, if they grant that premise, which they actually do believe, I don't think they actually want to kill infants, but when they acknowledge that, then what they're saying is, is that children just directly out of the birth canal are persons and should be protected, which then begs the question, how were they not when half of their body was out of the birth canal? So was the head... Uh, I'm sorry, was the head a person, but the torso wasn't if they were halfway delivered as they were slipping out of the birth canal, escaping the forceps that their mother paid a physician to dismember them with? Uh, do you see how asinine Richard Blumenthal and Dianne Feinstein would look if they granted that premise? So what does that tell you? It means that they're willing to sanction and slaughter infants who survived botched failed abortions in order to maintain the coherency allegedly, of their position. What could be more disgusting and bigoted than that? So, Melissa Odin is the bane of the pro-abortion left because she blows their bigotry 
to La La Land. So here's what Melissa Oden has to say to the Women's Health Protection Act and to these pro-abortion Democrat bigots. Play clip. I encourage you to ask yourself, how can access to abortion, the very act that should have ended my life, simultaneously be my fundamental right to exercise? Life is the foundation of all other rights. The very fact that this hearing is being held shows that everyone in this room was granted the privilege to retain that right, a privilege I was denied, a privilege my unprotected population of abortion survivors were denied, a right that thousands of unborn children will be denied the privilege of having today alone, the privilege of having a day you were born, not a day you were aborted, the privilege of a birthday, not a day you were accidentally born alive after the abortion failed. I know this is an issue we're all passionate about, but this privilege is one that's really easy for most people to overlook. The abortion industry speaks ambiguously about the science of when life begins and what abortion does, but the reality is much clearer. You were as much you in your mother's womb as you were the day you were born and as you are today. And I was as much me 43 years ago when I was targeted for abortion as I am today. Brilliant, brilliant, love it. Born privilege, you frickers, <laughs> you have born privilege. They, the left talks about white privilege, you're melanin and you participate in systems of oppression. Well, ironically, Democrats with born privilege participate in systems of oppression by targeting those who are unborn within a political system that has legalized the slaughter of innocent human beings at the tune of a million a year. Or as Ronald Reagan once said, I've noticed everyone who's for abortion has already been born. And Melissa Oden calls them out for their born privilege because their mothers didn't try to pay a physician to murder them which is exactly her story. Melissa Oden makes a phenomenal point here when she points out to the irony of arguing for abortion from the language of rights, from women's rights. She says, how can access to abortion, the very act that should have ended my life, simultaneously be my fundamental right to exercise? That's what they say, right? They say that abortion is a fundamental women's right. Well, what's a fundamental right? We're, now we're talking about the language of natural law, right? Fundamental rights are natural rights. Well, natural rights are rights that exist or spring from our human nature. We have them simply because we're human, right? Our founders recognize that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we're created equal, endowed by our creator with these inalienable rights. So the state cannot take away these natural rights from you. But ironically, the left points to abortion as an example of natural rights, to which Melissa says, if abortion is a natural right that I have simply because I'm a woman, then how was I targeted to be murdered by that right as a preborn woman. <laughs> and so what, what kind of right is abortion? Is it a positive right that only exists only insofar as the government grants it? Or is it a natural right that springs from our human nature? Because if abortion is a natural right that springs from our human nature, then we had that right from the moment we began to exist, the moment we were a human being. Hadley Arcs makes this point uh, brilliantly in his book, uh, natural rights and the right to choose. <clears throat> he says, oh, if abortion is a natural right, a right that springs from our human nature, then the abortion advocate had that right from the moment she began to exist, the moment of conception. So as Arx points out, we are left with an amusing paradox. According to the logic of abortion advocates, 
unborn women do not have a right to life, but they do have a right to an abortion. So according to the language of the left, Melissa Odin had a fundamental right to an abortion as a pre-born human being. Because <laughs> they're saying abortion is a natural right, which means you had it from the moment you were human, the moment of conception. <laughs> so according to the lexicon of the left, Melissa Odin had a fundamental right to abortion in the womb, but not a fundamental right to life in the womb. Oh, yeah, what are you going to do with that one? Uh, right, this is ridiculous, because how could human rights exist where the right to life doesn't? Uh, and Melissa Odin really takes them to the school of natural law. So let's get back to M Michelle Goodwin here again at UCI. Um, she, she participates more in, in sort of this, this euphemistic doublespeak, this inversion of reality, um, where she uses the language of death sentence to refer to pro-life laws. Play clip. So no, these laws do not protect women's health. They do not preserve their dignity at all. Instead, sadly, it has been a death sentence in many ways. Huh. Abortion has been a death sentence? Pro-abortion law? Oh, no. You, oh, you mean pro-life laws have been a death sentence to women? Huh? Wait, come again? <laughs> and she goes on to say that, like, it produces inequities and black women have a higher maternal mortality rate. And so if you let them continue their pregnancy, they might die. So it's always better to kill the baby. In fact, I've showed you that famous Planned Parenthood tweet on this show a couple times from a few years ago where Planned Parenthood, a local affiliate, tweeted out <laughs> something like, uh, it is statistically safer for black women in America to have an abortion than it is to give birth or it's statistically more dangerous for black women to give birth to their children um, than to go through an abortion. So if that's true, then always get an abortion, right? If, if, if abortion is always safer than childbirth, then always get abortions. And that's coming from Planned Parenthood, the number one killer of black lives. Um, and so she, Michelle Goodwin here says that, that pro-life laws are actually death sentences, not pro-abortion laws, which literally say that you can kill innocent human beings for no reason at all, except the fact that they're unwanted. She says pro-life laws don't preserve women's dignity. Of course, they do preserve pre-born women's dignity by saying you can't kill them. But she says that it's been a death sentence. So again, the very thing that is death for the pre-born is the language she uses to describe laws that aim to protect the pre-born. Welcome to la la land of leftism. Let's get back to Catherine Glenn Foster. Um, again, she, she dives into exactly what the Women's Health Protection Act would do um, as, as Blumenthal and the other pro-abortion members in this subcommittee deny that this is what will happen. But if you read through the Women's Health Protection Act, the language is so vague and so unclear. Why? In order to give them the range and, and uh, ability to apply the language in their law um, extremely broadly, right? The specificity is the enemy of leftism because their worldview is so debauched and inverted that if they use language to be specific about what they believed, then most Americans would reject their political agenda. They have to speak vaguely. They have to speak open-endedly. They have to use very vague words. Um, to disguise their bigotry. So um, here is Catherine Glenn Foster ex explaining how this federal legislation would really hurt states and the preborn. Play clip. Absolutely. This bill 
um, would prohibit any limitation on abortion clinics and staff unless they're comparable to limitations on, and I quote, medical procedures that are similar in terms of health and safety risks to the patient, complexity, or the clinical setting that is indicated. That is vague and it leaves open the possibility that the abortion industry would become completely unregulated. There are so many states that regulate freestanding abortion clinics in a specific way to address the uniqueness of that industry and to close the loopholes that have been created, the legal loopholes created by the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade and its progeny. So you see, Ms. Foster actually quotes the language from the Women's Health Protection Act because Blumenthal in this Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing, which you should go watch if you have the time, he, he sort of critiques Ted Cruz and Ms. Foster by saying, no, no, the Women's Health Protection Act is not going to overturn every pro-life law all across the state, only if those pro-life laws are, are sort of deemed uh, comparable to other unacceptable limitations on healthcare and the healthcare industry writ large. It's like, what are you even talking about, dude? So she quotes exactly what that means in the bill, right? She says, this bill would prohibit any limitation on abortion clinics and staff unless those limitations are comparable to, quote, medical procedures that are similar in terms of health and safety risk to the patient complexity or the clinical setting that is indicated. What the heck does that mean? Of course, they have to be that vague. So what they're saying is, we'll allow these prohibitions and regulations on the abortion industry and abortion clinics if those regulations are deemed acceptable in other um, healthcare contexts with surgical procedures in healthcare that aren't abortion, if they're similar to the clinical setting and the health and safety risk to the patient, blah, 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 blah. What are you talking about? Right, their whole point is to say, and be able to make the legal case that these prohibitions, limitations on the abortion industry are not found in similar healthcare settings. Right, because similar healthcare settings don't murder little people. They don't murder little human beings. And that's sort of their subterfuge attempt to eradicate every pro-life law in any state all across the country, essentially codifying Roe v. Wade into federal law. Does that make sense? So Catherine Glenn Foster pointing to the mealy-mouthed language of the Women's Health Protection Act. The Women's Health Protection Act would strike down any abortion law or regulation that isn't applied to a medically comparable procedure. And the legislation leaves it up to abortion doctors to determine what counts as a medically comparable procedure. The abortion doctor with financial incentive to accept money for the murder of a preborn child. So there's a huge conflict of interest. John McCormack at National Review I believe on uh, June 16th or 15th, wrote the bill would also invalidate state limits on late-term abortions. So Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton did allow states to ban third trimester abortions. He says, if passed, the Women's Health Protection Act will require states to permit abortion after an unborn child is viable, old enough to survive outside the womb, whenever that is, because it constantly changes. If a single doctor asserts that an abortion is necessary to protect the mother's health, health, right? That's the sneaky way that they justify abortion through point of birth. The text of the bill explicitly instructs the courts to liberally interpret the legislation and the bill, quote, doesn't distinguish between physical and mental health as its chief Senate sponsor, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut has said. Of course, it doesn't distinguish between physical and mental health because in not distinguishing, distinguishing between physical and mental health, you allow women to use the language of mental health 
which could mean you're stressed out and you had a fight with your boyfriend who impregnated you, so you need a late-term abortion, to use that broad application of health to have an abortion doctor accept your definition of health to get a third trimester abortion, even in a state that's made third trimester abortions illegal. And I've explained to you before how health is the way that they justify abortion and uh, legalize it through all nine months of pregnancy in all 50 states. Okay, so back to Michelle Goodwin, again at UC Irvine, the, the allegedly constitutional expert, who now is going to use the word liberty to defend abortion, which denies the right to life, which is the prerequisite of liberty. So here's Michelle Goodwin participating in her euphemistic gymnastics play clip. Liberty is founded in our constitution. So when we hear questions about whether abortion is in the Constitution, that reflects an originalist argument which fails on its face because liberty is in our Constitution. But if we wanted to think about it even more critically, who would dare think about holding to a constitutional vision that denied women personhood, a right to vote, a right to be gainfully employed and earn equal wages, a constitution that was interpreted to maintain black people as three-fifths of persons. Okay, all right, confused yet? Uh, let me break it down for you. So abortion is liberty because women have to have the liberty to exercise their own personal decisions in their own life. And if you can't make your own healthcare medical decisions, then there is no liberty. <laughs> okay. Well, you can only make that language if you assume that the preborn is not a human being. You can only make that language that liberty is what justifies abortion if you define out of existence the victims of abortion, preborn human beings. And again, their language must necessarily exclude the recognition of the humanity of the child or else they're exposed for the real bigots in this republic. So just so you're aware of that. Now, this is interesting. She begins to appeal to the constitution to justify abortion. Do you see that? She says, liberty is founded in our constitution. <laughs> and she says, um, originalist arguments fail because liberty is in our constitution. So she's saying, oh, you can argue from natural law, I guess, to oppose abortion, but those arguments fall flat because we have liberty. <laughs> what, what a myopic, uh, reductionistic argument, right? If you do have liberty and we have those rights because we're human beings, then we have those rights from the moment we're human beings. So you're compromising and taking away the preborn child's life and liberty when you kill them. Um, so she appeals to the Constitution and the second right enshrined in our Constitution, liberty, to argue for abortion. But then she baits and switches and she attacks the Constitution by saying, who would dare to think about holding to a constitutional vision that denied women personhood, a right to vote, a right to be gainfully employed and earn equal wages, a constitution that was interpreted to maintain black people as three-fifths of persons? We're going to get to her historical misunderstanding of the three-fifths clause in just one second. But this is, this is funny. Her argument is counterintuitive. She's contradicting herself. She points to the Constitution to argue for liberty and then uses liberty to argue for abortion rights. But then she baits and switches and bashes the very Constitution she just used to argue for abortion for its history of being used to uphold injustice, right? She, she says, who would follow a constitutional vision that denied women personhood? Well, you're following that constitutional vision because you just pointed to the Constitution to argue for liberty as a right to abortion. What, so it, should we follow the Constitution or not? 
Michelle Goodwin, right? She, she says, the constitutional vision that denied women personhood and blacks personhood? Who would follow that vision? Well, I guess you will. You just did. <laughs> so should we appeal to the authority of the Constitution or should we not? I'm, I'm very confused here. Which is it? Um, she can't make that case, right? Now, of course, the story of American history is the unequal application of our good ideas. The ideas in the Constitution and in our founding documents are good ideas. We didn't live up to them perfectly, but the story of America is the pursuit to perfect the application of those principles that we said we believed. Yes, some of our founding fathers owned slaves. They were inconsistent, but I don't want to hear anything about the inconsistency and botched constitutional vision of our founding fathers from a woman who's black, who says she hates slavery, who is responsible for promoting and protecting the right to murder black babies. <laughs> you want to talk about inconsistency? consistent application of our constitutional principles, pro-aborts are the most inconsistent applicants of applying constitutional principles because they say you can murder little human beings by denying them their right to life, the first right guaranteed in our founding documents. Who inconsistently applies constitutional principles now? Michelle Goodwin. My goodness, I don't want to hear anything about unequal application of justice in our constitutional and founding documents. Okay. So the story of America is not, is not that we suck and we can never apply what we believe so we should burn it all to the ground and rebuild it on the utopia of leftism. The story is imperfect human beings who were hypocrites, who were inconsistent, and because of that, atrocities were committed. We, we did not protect the natural right to life, liberty, and property of every human being that was in America or that were denied rights of citizenship. And we're doing the same thing to preborn children today. So we're still trying to perfect the ideas that we say we believe. But thank God for a constitutional republic and founding documents that enshrine those rights to which our politicians are supposed to swear to uphold um, the Constitution. And if you're pro-choice, you have necessarily um, broken that promise immediately. But she, she points to the three-fifths clause here. I want to quickly um, explain that to you because as a historian and constitutional expert, she's not very smart. She's not very historical. Shocker! Anyone know the New York Times 1619 Project, which says that uh, the revolution was fought to protect slavery, and then you had liberal, liberal Democrat historians emailing the New York Times saying that's not accurate American history. Yeah, oh, look, the people who position themselves as historical experts uh, invert history to achieve political goals. Yes. And she's doing just that here. She says, a constitution that was interpreted to maintain black people as three-fifths of persons? Really? That's the constitution you want to point to? To, to say we should follow? To become pro-life? I mean, what a botched constitution that is. Well, she doesn't even understand what the three-fifths clause meant. So um, Ashland University discussed this uh, in a piece called uh, The Three-Fifths Deal Was a Step Toward Freedom. So people hear the three-fifths clause, right, and they think, oh my gosh, our courts define blacks as three-fifths of a person? How bigoted is that? It wasn't, it wasn't implemented to say or communicate to the American public that blacks are so subhuman that they only count as three-fifths of a person. It was actually used by people who wanted to secure the freedom of slaves and, and harm the cause of the slavery Democratic Party. And they explain this here briefly, just to bring some historical insight to you, to her anti-historical nonsense. They say, it seems obviously racist to count a slave as only part of a person, right? But when the Constitution was being drafted, 
It was Southern interests that argued for counting slaves fully as persons. Note it, okay, the South, the pro-slavery Democrats, wanted to count slaves as fully persons, not as three-fifths persons. Well, well, but the very people who think they're subhuman want to count them as full persons? Why is that? Ashland University continues and says, <clears throat> this would have maximized Southern power in Congress because the Constitution determined only the number of representatives, not who those representatives would be. The Constitution let each state determine how its representatives would be chosen. So a state could count slaves to determine the number, right, of representatives, and then send only white slave owners to Congress. In this context, to count only three-fifths the number of slaves rather than the total number actually diminished the power of the pro-slavery faction in the national government. This strengthened the part of the country that was opposed to slavery to the advantage of the slaves themselves. Does that make sense? So the pro-slavery Democrats wanted to count slaves as full persons to get more representation to send more white racists to Congress to advocate for slavery. <laughs> so it was actually those opposed to slavery counting blacks as three-fifths of a vote or of a person for legal representation to diminish the cause of pro-slavery Democrats, something you're not gonna hear from the New York Times or Michelle Goodwin, an alleged constitutional expert at UC Irvine. Okay, as we're wrapping up here, Richard Blumenthal, who's a, uh, again, a senator in Connecticut who's the sponsor of this bill, originally co-sponsored by Kamala Harris, the most radical pro-abortion politician in American history. Richard Blumenthal sort of wraps up towards the end of this hearing here, and he says that yeah, this law is just truth-telling, it's just truth-telling. So here's Richard Blumenthal lying out of his, his face. The right of privacy is now a pillar of our jurisprudence. My colleague may be critical of Justice Blackmun's opinion in Roe v. Wade, but these restrictions on health care interfere with that basic right. And I think that the statute that has been proposed simply requires truth-telling, privacy, and the protection of a woman's right to make decisions about when to have a child. Yeah, it's just truth-telling, right? It's just privacy. I mean, how could you be opposed to privacy, Ted Cruz, Melissa Odin? Um, because uh, Blumenthal, there's some things that you can't do in the privacy of your own homes. Should we allow parents to kill their toddlers as long as they do so in the privacy of their own living room, Blumenthal? Oh, no, of course not. You can't use privacy to justify killing toddlers. Right, because they're human beings. So your language, once again, necessarily excludes the preborn, the very human being that you label untermensch, subhuman, not a full person. This is the bigotry of leftism. This is the lexicon of the left. This is the linguistic waters that they navigate in order to make their position and botched ideology more palatable to the American public. Because if they speak clearly and they use words to refer to reality, they will be exposed for the sexist, eugenicist, racist bigots that they really are. And he says these restrictions on health care, meaning these pro-life laws that say you can't murder babies, interfere with the basic right to privacy. Yes, that's right. Yes, good. Good, Blumenthal, yes, some things should be regulated. Some things cannot be done under the mantle of privacy. That's a good thing. He says privacy is just a pillar of our jurisprudence. Um, and yet um, 
these same people will say that you know, we don't have the privacy to navigate online and that they're going to use the deep state to spy on us um, and, and ensure that some ideas are censored. But I thought I had the privacy rights to engage in the free marketplace of ideas. No, I guess not. So again, once again, these are just words they use to disguise their bigotry. And then we'll close here with M Michelle Goodwin going back to this, this UCI professor who, who repeats one of the most um, common lies of the abortion left, a lie that the former president of Planned Parenthood um, parroted uh, during the election running up to the 2020 election and was actually given, I believe, four Pinocchios, four lie Pinocchios from the Washington Post, the furthest left mainstream publication in America. And so uh, here's Michelle Goodwin peddling these lies. Play clip. It's important to recognize that Roe v. Wade saved lives. Prior to Roe v. Wade, there were tens of thousands of people who died as they were attempting to terminate pregnancies and were subjected to the most inhumane types of circumstances. Roe v. Wade saves lives. That's why 63 million children have been killed thanks to Roe v. Wade. It just saves lives. <laughs> it just, the inversion of language, right? The redefinition of terms to achieve political ends. But then she parrots this lie, this line, right? That there were tens of thousands of women dying from abortions before Roe versus Wade. Do you know what makes this so despicable, actually, is because she knows this is a lie. She knows this is a lie. She's far too informed and educated to actually believe that this is true. Um, the, the high priests of secular progressivism, right, the deacons of the religion of secular humanism in the abortion industry, they know the, the figures, they know the statistics. I mean, Guttmacher Institute, Planned Parenthood's statistical research branch, has, has debunked this claim about how many women had died from illegal abortions prior to 1973. Why is Planned Parenthood's statistical research branch saying that this claim is a lie? Because they all know it. They all know it's a lie. So this makes it that, that much more particularly disturbing, is they're willing to, to blatantly lie to the American public, um, smile as they do it, and, uh, and assume that you're stupid enough to believe it. So were tens of thousands of women dying from illegal abortions before Roe versus Wade? No. Who was responsible for creating that figure, for mainstreaming that figure that tens of thousands of women were dying from illegal abortions? Well, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, right, who was responsible for fighting the campaign to legalize abortion in Roe versus Wade, was an abortionist, killed uh, over 10,000 children, including his own preborn daughter, an abortion he performed on his preborn daughter and his wife wrote the book Aborting America in 1979 after he had a conversion to the pro-life movement and spent the rest of his life trying to pay penance for the babies he had killed for the harm that he brought onto this country, became a Christian and became a pro-life activist. He writes in his book Aborting America in 1979, he says, quote, when we spoke of the number of deaths from illegal abortions, it was always 5,000 to 10,000 deaths a year. The figure you just heard Michelle Goodwin say, tens of thousands a year. He says, I confess that I knew the figures were totally false. <laughs> and I suppose the others did too. But in the, quote, morality of our revolution, it was a useful figure, widely accepted. The overriding concern was to get the laws eliminated. He means pro-life laws. To get the laws eliminated. And anything within reason that had to be done was permissible. 
Wait, do you mean that people who believe that you can kill innocent human beings won't have a problem lying? <laughs> yes, murder is significantly more evil than lying. If you're willing to murder, you will be very willing to lie. And he says <clears throat> that the morality of our revolution, meaning what we pers were pursuing, we believed was so right that lies were just a small price to pay to achieve our political goals. And he's saying, of course, this was a lie. Okay. Um, in 1967, the federal government listed only 160 deaths from illegal abortion. In the last year before abortion was legalized, so 1972, the total was only 39 deaths. 39, okay? And this, this all comes from citations in Dr. Bernard Nathanson's book, Aborting America, uh, referring to federal government statistics. 1972, only 39 deaths in the, in the whole country in one year. And yet, uh, Michelle Goodwin is saying tens of thousands a year. Do you see why even the Washington Post gave Leanna Wen, the former president of Planned Parenthood, four Pinocchios for this lie? And then Mary Calderon, who's the former medical director for Planned Parenthood, okay, <laughs> medical director for Planned Parenthood in 1960, wrote an article in the American Journal of Public Health titled, Illegal Abortion is a Public Health Problem. Here's what she cited. Here's the research that she laid out in her health, uh, in her Journal of Public Health article in 1960. She said in 1957, there were 260 deaths in the whole country attributed to abortions of any kind. Now, of course, not the preborn babies, the, the women. 260 deaths in the whole country attributed to abortions. In New York City in 1921, right? So this would have been a time when someone like Michelle Goodwin would be like, abortions were so dangerous back then. I mean, women's were dying by the thousands. It was a bloodbath of mothers being killed in illegal abortions. New York City, 1921, 144 abortion deaths. And in 1951, there were only 15. 15, okay? and New York City always being sort of an abortion hub. Mary Calderon wraps up her article saying this, okay? This is the medical director for Planned Parenthood, pre-Roe versus Wade. She says, 90% of all illegal, illegal abortions are presently being done by physicians. So not like back alley coat hanger weirdos, like actual physicians. Call them what you will, she says, abortionists or anything else, they are still physicians trained as such. And many of them are in good standing in their communities. She says they must do a pretty good job if the death rate is as low as it is. So remember, abortion, whether therapeutic or illegal, is in the main no longer dangerous because it is being done well by physicians. So Mary Calderon says in 1960 that most of the illegal abortions are being done by physicians who know how to do it safely for the mother, not safely for the child who's killed, of course. And she's saying, yeah, not very many women are dying because it's being done by medical professionals. Well, that uh, seems to run counter to the claim Michelle Goodwin just says here. To Congress, to the American people, in a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing that tens of thousands of women were dying from abortions before Roe versus Wade. What a liar. So we're going to get to the euphemisms and lies for just one second and how Exposing those lies exposes exactly how racist, ageist, sexist, and eugenicist 
these bigots really are. But before we get to that, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars and the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. This is just our crowdfunding platform where you support the show. You get fun perks and thank yous in return so we can expand our team, our production value, the number of episodes we do, and the type of content we actually create. Because we want to start going increasingly onto college campuses and in busy public squares and having these conversations with Americans in the marketplace of ideas and putting these ideas into conversational context. So consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. So the left requires euphemisms and lies, right? They require it. It's part of their lexicon. It's part of their fantasy reality. Because without those, they're exposed for the racist, ageist, sexist, eugenicist, and murderous bigots that they really are. And that's why I spent the first three quarters of this show debunking those lies. This is your master course in translating euphemisms and debunking lies. Why? Because once you do that, you expose them for who they really are, right? The man behind the curtain is exposed and we all see you. The mask is off, right? Despite the mask mandates, we all see your rotting, leprous face and your agenda. That's why we need to help you navigate through their euphemistic waters and translate their leftism into reality. So I'm going to make the case that exposing their bigotry, exposing their euphemism and lies, leaves us with only one conclusion, that the Democratic Party, the abortion industry, and the abortion rights movement, but I repeat myself, are actual racist, ageist, sexist, and eugenicists. Now, I know people don't like this kind of language because they're like, oh, we need to secure a more healthy political discourse in America, right? Come on, Seth. The Democrats already call us racist and sexist and ageist. You shouldn't participate in that same type of political discourse, right? That, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a bad form. Bad form, Seth. Um, yes, but politics is not just form. It's also substance, right? What are the substance of the ideas being defended? So maybe the form of politics is a nasty form because Democrats call Republicans racist, sexist, homophobe, eugenicists, and we call them racist, sexist, homophobe, eugenicists. But who's right? Are we both right or is just one person right? What's the substance of the ideas, of the philosophy, of the undergirding assumptions and premises, right? You can't just... You can't just label your political opponents whatever and have it be an accurate description of reality. So I'm actually going to argue that my accusation that the Democratic Party and the pro-abortion movement actually are racist, sexist, eugenicists, and ageists, and I'm going to defend... I'm actually going to defend those claims. I'm just not going to levy those claims because I want to shut up my political opponents. That, that's why they label us those things, is to shut us up. Okay, I don't want to be labeled a racist. Okay, I guess I'll let critical race theory into my public schools. Um, no, no. There's actually substance to my claims. And so the left and abortion crazies, they call conservatives and pro-lifers racist, sexist, and ableist, right? They say we're racist because we oppose abortion and, abortion and pro-life laws hurt black women because they have a higher maternal mortality rate and they tend to be poorer on average than other ethnic uh, classes. And so pro-life laws end up hurting black women more. So we're racist for our pro-life laws, right? That's what they say. They say we're sexist 
because for women to be truly equal to men, they need abortion. So we're sexist for trying to stop killing preborn women. And they say we're ableist because we don't support universal health care. That, that's what they say, right? And they say without universal health care, the disabled and infirmed will be disproportionately harmed without access to good health care. And so you're ableist because you're hurting the disabled in America, even though the best health care available to the disabled and infirm in America is made available through a free market system because with, uh, with higher cost comes higher quality. Uh, but we're ableist for opposing universal health care. Okay, so that's, that's how they label us, racist, sexist, eugenicist, or ableist, right? Uh, but we control the le we control not control, we can troll the left with their own bill, this Women's Health Protection Act, which would what? Overturn pro-life laws that say you can't kill babies if you want to kill them because they're black. You can't kill babies if you're getting an abortion because you don't want a girl. And you can't kill babies if you're doing so because they have Down syndrome. <laughs> Wouldn't that be racist sexism and uh, ableism and eugenicism? So you see, there's actually substance to the form of my political point, my political attack. So the question for the left and the abortion rights movement and the Democratic Party becomes this. Is targeting people because of immutable characteristics Characteristics wrong or not? Again, is targeting people because of immutable characteristics wrong or not? Is it wrong to target someone because they're a woman, because they're black, because they have Down syndrome? And the left would say yes, but then if you apply that in utero, they actually bait and switch and say, no, it's okay to kill those, those persons because they're black, female, and disabled. What? Yes, that's the hard bigotry of being pro-choice. So, how can we make this claim? Well, assuming that the disproportionate African-American incarceration rate is attributed purely to racism, that's their claim, right? <laughs> they say that the disproportionate incarceration of black Americans proves systemic racism. Well, if that's true, if that's a proof of systemic racism and discrimination, then how could aborting babies because they're black be okay? <laughs> You've seen the live-action investigative journalists, right? They've done these phone calls to multiple Planned Parenthood facilities, and it's undercover journalism, right? So it's not actually true, but they're saying, hey, if I, if I tell you X, will, I want to get your response. And they have undercover journalists calling Planned Parenthood and saying, hey, I want to make a donation specifically for a black mother. Yeah, I specifically want to make a donation to abort black babies um, because I've got a real problem with affirmative action. You know, I don't want my white baby being, uh, being uh, unfairly, uh, you know, put up against black children. So I just, you know, I, I just think the less black people, the better. Th that's what undercover journalists have said to Planned Parenthood on the phone. And do you want to know the response of the Planned Parenthood person on the other phone? Awesome. Thank you. We'd love to take your donation. <laughs> okay, so the Planned Parenthood is perfectly okay with aborting babies because they're black. But then the question becomes, isn't killing someone because of their skin color? worse than incarcerating someone because of their skin color? <laughs> now, I don't even buy the premise that, that the disproportionate incarceration rate of African Americans can be chalked up to systemic racism, uh, right? But if that were true, then killing people because they're black is significantly more evil than incarcerating someone purely because they're black. But they hate the former, but they support the latter. Huh? Who's the real racist now? You see, I actually have substance to my claims where they just label us racist because we want to pass pro-life laws to make it illegal to kill black babies. Okay, what about sexism, right? Well, they say the gender wage gap 
is attributed purely to sexism against women. Not because of different sort of family career choices, because men tend to work longer hours and want to stay in the workforce longer, and women tend to at some point want to have a, a family, and so they work less or they leave the workforce. Um, but they say, no, it's purely attributed to blatant sexism. Okay, then how could aborting babies because they're female be okay? Isn't killing someone because of their gender worse than paying someone less because of their gender? <laughs> but they hate the alleged reality that women are paid less because of their gender, but they champion killing people because of their gender. And again, we've done undercover exposés, the pro-life movement has of Planned Parenthood being willing to help assist women with a prenatal test to determine the gender after that pregnant mother told the abortion clinic, if it's a girl, I'm getting an abortion, and if it's a boy, I'm keeping it because I don't want a girl. And Planned Parenthood goes, awesome. Could you think of a more blatant form of sexism? Well, there's their racism and sexism, right? This is what we expose when we translate their euphemisms into reality, and when we debunk their lies, which were on full display in this Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing on the Women's Health Protection Act, uh, minus preborn women. Okay, what about ageism, right? Eugenics, they call us ageists. Well, assuming the disabled and infirm are ignored or denied health care purely because of their diagnosis, that's what they say. They say that's why we need universal health care, because too many private health care plans won't, uh, won't help cover health care costs for the disabled and the infirm. And that's ageism, right? Or I'm sorry, that's, uh, that's, that's um, eugenics, and that's ableism, right? Well, assuming that that happens, how could killing someone because they're disabled be okay? Once again, isn't killing someone because they're disabled far more ableist? than denying them health care because they're disabled? Uh, one would think so, I even if their claim is true about the discriminatory nature of the American healthcare system. So who's the real ableist? Who really wants to get rid of people who are deemed unfit to live because they're not physically or chromosomally perfect in the womb, in utero? Who's the real bigot? So the real answer, is that the abortion industry and many pro-choice activists don't actually care about racism, sexism, or ableism. They don't care about racism because Planned Parenthood kills more unarmed black lives in two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century. Planned Parenthood was founded by a racist and eugenicist, and Planned Parenthood praises and names awards after her, Margaret Sanger. 79% of Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities are located within walking distance of majority African-American neighborhoods because you need to put the killing centers to the closest proximity of the percentage, to the, the greatest disproportionate percentage of whom your abortion services are directed to. Black America. 3.5% of the American public are black women of childbearing age, and they obtain 37% of the abortions. Planned Parenthood knows this, so they put their clinics in areas that make it quick and easy to exterminate as many black lives as possible. Planned Parenthood endorsed Biden, who was once said, you're not black if you don't vote for him, described Obama as the first clean and articulate black man in politics, said, quote, unlike the African-American community with notable exceptions, the Latino community is incredibly diverse with incredibly diverse attitudes about different things. In other words, black people think alike and exactly the same because Democrats treat black people today like they did in the 1850s like property, like they own them, like they own them in their vote and they better freaking vote for Democrats. Well, there's a lot of racism there in an institution that the Democratic Party wants to fund.
to eternity, Planned Parenthood. Sexism, well, they tell men that their opinion and entire thoughts on abortion mean about as much as a cow's opinion, to quote Joey Tribbiani. So they're sexist because they tell us men to shut up on the issue of abortion. And the Women's Health Protection Act would allow abortions sought after due to the gender of the child. Yes, killing someone because of their gender is significantly more sexist than um, giving them uh, a smaller salary because of their gender. Who really loves sexism, huh? Richard Blumenthal, sponsor of the Women's Health Protection Act. And what about ableism? Well, Margaret Sanger was an actual eugenicist who hobnobbed with the founders of the American Eugenics Society. <laughs> she was great friends with the founders of the American Eugenics Society and advocated for a eugenics approach to breeding for those she called, quote, ready for this, quote, the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. Holy moly, Margaret Sanger. She wrote that in Highlights in the History of Birth Control in October of 1923, that eugenics should be used for suppressing, eliminating, and eventually extincting defective stocks, human weeds, which threaten the perfecting of the human nature. And she meant that as applied to black people, and she meant that as applied to infirm and disabled people. Margaret Sanger also supported forced um, uh, birth control and um, uh, essentially controlling the reproductive abilities of black America um, in order to, to stop them from reproducing. And she wanted to eliminate all of the disabled people uh, as well, who she believed were unfit to live. And by the way, I mentioned this in a podcast months ago, but um, Adolf Hitler, while in jail for his failed a coup attempt in Munich prior to him taking power, was writing fan mail to the founders of the American Eugenics Society for their book on eugenics. And Adolf Hitler called the founder of the American Eugenics Society's book, quote, his Bible. And Margaret Sanger um, Adolf Hitler based much of his eugenics policies in Germany based off of the eugenics ideas expressed by Margaret Sanger and the founders of the American Eugenics Society. So who's the real ableist, huh? Who's the real racist, sexist, and ableist? Killing people because they're black, female, or disabled is significantly more evil than incarcerating them because of their black, or paying them less wages because they're female, or not giving them full health care because they're disabled. All claims, which are false by the way anyways, but wouldn't killing someone be significantly more evil? Well, not in the lexicon of the left, not in the orthodoxy of today's Democratic Party, whose prerequisite is that you pay service and fealty to the religion of secular progressivism. Will the church wake up to this? Will we filibuster this? Will we prevent this? And will we get Christians and God-fearing men and women elected to stop this racism, sexism, and ableism, this assault on image bearers of God, which kills them and calls it justice? I certainly hope so. Well, without euphemisms and lies, lies what would the left be? Just murderous bigots as their political agenda is exposed by me and by you for what it really is. Thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give this show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate it. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy E-R, to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule. If you want to hear me speak live and local, my summer schedule is pretty much booked. My fall is filling up fast, actually, and I don't preach in a pulpit every Sunday. 
keeps me too busy and away from my family. So if you do want to book me in the church, wake up the bride of Christ and abortion this fall, then reach out to me quickly to get me to your church. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.